what God has for us today. This is not the small print of the gospel. This is not some hidden message in scripture. Jesus made it very clear that a decision to follow was a decision to die, to surrender everything to him. And so Jesus turns to the crowd and he turns to you and me and he asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives. Are you a fan or a follower? <laughs> we are so glad to have each and every one of you here with us today. What a blessing. Thank you for entering into the presence of God. The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And uh, <clears throat> that is what we're about here at Victory is giving the Lord the glory that is due his name. We um, are so thankful for all of you who participated yesterday. Those of you whether you were here and actually handing out turkeys and stuffing and corn and green beans and cranberry sauce and all the other stuff that we gave to 100 families. We're excited to show you the video at the close of the service today. Uh, as we prepare today for our miracle offering, one time a year we ask you to dig deep and just pray and ask God to provide for you, bless you, multiply your resources. We start asking weeks in advance just to get you ready. Today's the day we're going to be doing this And so we're excited today because of all that the Lord has brought to bear in this great season. A lot of blessing on this church. A lot of folks have come to Christ the last year, celebrated three being baptized last Sunday and going to receive a couple new members this morning at the close of this service. And So we're just rejoicing at all that God has given. We have a lot of reason to be thankful. Can somebody say thank you, Jesus? Put your hands together and let's give him praise one more time. Amen. We love you, Lord. We give you praise. Hallelujah. This series started in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is the record of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it was in a day when women and children were relegated underneath the importance of men. And so the women and the children weren't counted. When you read in the gospel of John, it's a little different from the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because John deliberately set out and told about seven miracles. Seven, samion is the Greek word. And it means a miracle that is a sign that's pointing to something greater than itself. The miracle in itself is phenomenal. It's supernatural. It is something to shout about. The people on that day, we began this series six weeks ago today. And today we concluded in this wonderful book called Not a Fan. And we're asking the question, are you a fan or a follower? And I believe that's a legitimate question that we have to ask ourselves periodically in our lives, uh, whether it be a relationship with our spouse. Uh, how committed are we? Paul the Apostle wrote to the Corinthians and he said, examine yourselves in the faith. Peter grabbed that same idea in his epistle and he said, make your calling and election sure. And so... The reason that we've taken the time to do this is because we've seen the Lord do some powerful things through the gospel work the last couple of years in victory. People making new commitments to Christ. A lot of unchurched folks, maybe they've been out of church for decades or maybe they've never actually grown up in church. And so this is the reason we open the doors and we do things a little differently here at Victory because we are really trying to reach a segment of the population in Crittenden County uh, that's not being reached. And I believe that's what the gospel is about. It's about going into the world and not just preaching at people, but it's about doing some of the things like we did yesterday, that many times the open heart comes open when we're able to extend our hand of graciousness or generosity and help meet a need that somebody else has. Yesterday it touched me because so many people overwhelmingly thanked us in this church for our opening our hearts to bless them with a hundred families with all of the fixings for a Thanksgiving meal. And at least four of them left with tears in their eyes. And one little lady impacted me very greatly, sweet little lady who was a little bit weak and on up in years, very white-haired, pretty little African-American lady that I had to help get all the stuff out the door because the bag was too heavy. And she had tears in her eyes and she said, thank you, young man, if you hadn't done this, my family wouldn't have had Thanksgiving. And so I want to thank you. We thank the Lord, but I want to thank you because the Lord used you. The things that we do here at Victory 
In this, from as a result of this miracle offering, what we take today will carry us into a number of outreaches that we'll do in 2014. We'll be counting the one December the 8th, which is giving away about 250 brand new warm winter coats to children whose families might not be able to afford to buy them one. So this is the work, I believe, of what the church is called to do. To be able to, and it's just, it's just a couple of drops. But still, this is significant because we are trying our best to lead the way and show people that this is what the church can do in the community. If we'll all each take up a different kind of a, a project or a cause that the Spirit of the Lord births in our hearts to be able to do, we could turn around here in a few years and the Delta really could be quite a different place than it is right now. That's, what, that's the kind of hope that motivates me. That's the kind of hope that causes me to preach messages like we've been bringing to you over the last several weeks in this series called Not a Fan. Jesus has developed quite a reputation. He has a following that has been moving around the borders and the edges of the Sea of Galilee and down to Nazareth and up to Jerusalem, across to Caesarea Philippi. Wherever Jesus is, there's always a crowd because the reputation has gotten out that this guy's different than all of the other religious teachers. He's not just a Pharisee with long flowing robes and a pious look on his face, but he really moves out of a compassion and out of a generosity of heart that is able to impact and change lives eternally. He, as another gospel describes, he doesn't speak like the Pharisees or the lawyers or the scribes of Judaism, but he is one who teaches with authority. This thing's got some punch to it. It's got some kick to it because it's not just a word that the people go away from actually being able to connect to and relate to and understand and have a take home, but it's the fact that the words that he speaks are backed up by these miraculous signs. Blind eyes are open, deaf ears are unstopped, lame people get up and start to walk and take up their mats, and men with withered hands who've not been able to function all of a sudden by faith and by the word of the Lord stretch out their hands in demonstration of the power of God. The amazing thing that happened on this day in this account in John chapter 6 is that the people have been there all day long and they've persisted, they've They've waited. They've, they they want to hang around Jesus. They want to be with Jesus. And it looks like the possibility that this may be a crowd, not just made up of fans, but maybe there are some very real, serious, committed, potential followers in this group. And they're hanging on even though they're hungry. And Jesus looks at the disciples that day and he makes mention of the fact that these people have been with us all day long and they have to be hungry. And Philip basically speaks up and as if this is not our problem, dude. He says to Jesus, man, do you realize it would probably take about eight months worth of wages if we were able to have enough money to go buy food to feed this crowd? They didn't count the women and children those days, so the 5,000 men actually added up to a good conservative estimate of probably about 15,000 people. They looked over this sea of hungry eyes. And Andrew, another disciple, is scanning the crowd and he happens to view a little boy with a happy meal. How he got it, we don't know because there are no golden arches anywhere around. <laughs> There's no drive through windows. But Andrew spots a little boy who has a little sack lunch. She has a little happy meal with five loaves and two fishes. And unlike the liberal theologian that said, well, they were really large fish and big loaves, ha, ha, ha. Do you realize how much bread and how many fish it would take to feed 15,000 people? Jesus takes what is probably equivalent to a sardine, pops off the head, and then the place grows another head. He breaks off the tail, and the tail of that fish grows another head. And they start to multiply. And this miracle of God taking little and it entering the hands of the provider and the creator himself who made it starts to feed the people and he gives them instructions in the other gospels. He tells them to sit down in 50s and the disciples will be around and make sure that everybody gets enough. We'll bring some good sweet tea from southern Israel as well. And so everybody's going to be fed. They're going to get their fill. They're going to have a great time. And matter of fact, the testimony is by the end of the day when everybody has gotten their fill, they actually have 12 basketfuls left over. The buffet has been stocked. It's loaded and never at any point did it run out. The crowd lingers, and 
This is almost like kind of a Woodstock rally. They decide they're going to make it a multiple day event and they spend the night. They pull their robes and their cloaks over them and maybe they were able to huddle together and have some warmth and maybe some, some kind of little tents were erected in some way or another. But for the most part, folks are sleeping out under the stars and they wake up the next morning and guess what happens when the folks the late evening before had eaten to their fill and even had baskets left over? Guess what? Morning occurs and their stomachs are growling and they're ready for something else to eat. They look around. But the guy who did the miracle yesterday and gave everybody a free coupon to the fish and chips day was gone. Where's Jesus? Where his disciples and the crowd starts to murmur and there's whisperings and there's rumors that start to spread. They've gone over the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Let's go to meet them. And so as many of them as can find boats and little ways to get across. And they take the uh, probably three-quarters of a day journey, just scruff, scuffling around, trying to find their way over the edges, over to the other side, around the borders of the Sea of Galilee and the various areas in the, in the New Testament where you read the Sea of Gennesaret. It's not another body of water. It just happens to be a little cove over there in the area of Gennesaret. And so they're moving around that, trying to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is. And he gets over there with them, and Jesus basically gives them this response that we see from John chapter 6. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Wow. Jesus basically shuts down the drive through window. And he tells them, look, I, I, I know what you're here for. You're not here because of the great teaching that can bring eternal life. You're not here because of the miracles which you have observed with your own eyes, but you're here because you got your bellies full and you had your fill. Now, boys, the breakfast buffet is not going to be served this morning. And what Jesus does is he starts to break open the word. And in that moment, he says, I am the bread of life. And if any man will... Partake of me, he will never hunger again. And if anyone partake of me, he will never again go thirsty. I'm the bread sent down from heaven. The bread you ate yesterday was natural, but the real bread that I'm out here for, and this is what I want to tell you, point number one. It says this. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out if he's the one that you were really hungry for. Say it with me. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you find out if he's the one you were really hungry for. This is a sobering message. I believe this message so applies to where we are as a nation right now because if circumstances do not change, if something does not happen in our three branches of government with our checks and balances and the amazing American experiment of democracy is able to continue, if we approach the financial fiscal cliff of bankruptcy, what are we going to do as a nation when all of the government-subsidized, provided fish and chips, bread and sustenance gets cut off? If this thing is bankrupted, Jesus gives these people an opportunity to see why are you here? Are you just here because of what you've seen observed? He basically says, no, it's not about that at all. It's about you just got a happy meal. You got your belly filled. But I'm telling you, now, I want to ask you this question, Jesus says. If I'm all that you've got, if you're down to where you don't have anything else, Jesus basically says, it's time for the DTR talk. Come on, you remember what it's like. Young guys especially just are fearful, trepidatious over the possibility of a relationship approaching that cliff of the DTR talk where she looks at you and she says, it's time for us to, say it with me, define the relationship. 
Young men are terrified by that, having never crossed that line of faith before, knowing that they're headed into a baptism of death, <laughs> out of which will come. It is a death. It's a death of an old single life. Don't look at me like I'm saying, aww. It's the death of an old life, and it's the waking up of something entirely new. It's a new creation. When God marries two people and joins them together, honey, if he's still trying to live like a single guy, you better wake up and smell the coffee, sweetheart. That old life better die. He better bury it in the baptism of making a vow to you. When you define that relationship and you stand up in the presence of witnesses and God himself, and you say, I do, I will, and he does, and she does, and they do, and, and they will. It is the death of an old way of existence. When you get saved, you don't keep living like you're unsaved. Come on, somebody. Give God some praise. Jesus offers himself, but the question is whether or not that will be enough for them. Jesus declares, I'm the bread of life. And so I ask you this morning, what are your options? Some of you are sitting in the proverbial position of being between the rock and the hard place. And you've had some two or three options that you could exercise. Sometimes we're able to do what we call some creative financing. And we can sort of finagle our way out of the mess, the status quo. That's Latin for the mess we's in. We, we, we can kind of redo some things. We can manipulate circumstances a little bit, maybe intimidate some folks, whether it's on the job or in the relationship or the wayward child. We can make threats. But when all of that stuff is gone, when only the option that you have left is just to be able to say there's nothing left on the menu but Jesus, is he enough for you? Is he enough for me? There are scenarios that I could tell you after having been here in this place. I've been in the ministry for almost 30 years now and 23 years in this place. And I've seen people come and go. And I've seen stories of great redemption where God has touched and changed lives. And it, they've been marked down and written into the Lamb's Book of Life. And it is in the annals of history of what the gospel can do. And there are other stories that would break your heart where people have come to a crossroad and they've chosen to turn back. I believe God gives every man, every woman an opportunity at some point to be able to have the DTR talk with them, to define the relationship. The people here that are standing in John 6 had their bellies filled to the point of busting a button the night before, and they wake up the next morning and they're hungry, and Jesus basically says, boy, the drive through window is closed. I'm not serving an all-you-can-eat breakfast buffet, but I want to know, if all you know you have is me, is that enough? Now, those who have the eyes to see know that if they have him, they have the provision because with him, with the provider, comes the provision. But I don't think there are a lot in that crowd who have those kinds of faith-filled eyes to be able to see through the natural challenges, through the circumstances. What are your options this morning? Are they to the place where you have exhausted everything and you have nothing else to do except look up through the bottom and cry in desperation and say, God, I am bankrupt. I need you. I don't believe there's any better place that you can be in when you finally break denial from the problem you have been in, from the circumstances that sometimes our own choices have helped to create, and when we finally wake up and we go, God, I cannot do this. I desperately need you. That's when God is able to move heaven and earth on your behalf. I, I, I can tweak the stories a little and change some names to protect those that are involved, but after 23 years of ministry, I can remember Ed Ed was a high up in a successful company and he had the lifestyle that the money that a high up in a successful company regularly earns, perks and trips and chances to travel and great benefits packages and shared stock options and all kinds of things like that. And long story short, he receives a pink slip. This company is downsized and Ed is over. He's where I am. He's in that 50 plus stage in his life and Everything that he's always expected to happen all of a sudden takes a very bleak, dark description in the story. It's like the lighting in the room has dropped gradually and the mood has changed. And where there was a bright expectation, now there seems to be a very gloomy and a somber outlook for the future. And Ed is broken. Ed is in despair. Ed has 
been a second generation Christian, but his his basically experience has come out of a lot of things that he learned as a child. His prayers were really nothing more than words that were mumbled what he learned when he was growing up in a good, solid Christian home. And he he knew the cliches. He knew how to speak Christianese. He knew how to go through the motions and stand up and look good in church and present a good Christian image. And in this moment, when all of that came crashing down, Ed changed from a fan to a follower because his options had been completely dismissed. He had no other choice, no other direction that he could go in. And all of a sudden, the cliche-filled prayers all of a sudden began to be cries of desperation from a heart that was truly turned to God. And in those moments, Ed became a real follower with Jesus Christ. I can tell the story about Kathy, who was a... uh, married to a successful man here in this community in West Memphis, Marion, and they went through a tragic time in their lives and went through a divorce, and because of the church they were in and that was not believed in, they were given the left foot of fellowship. And Kathy ended up coming through those doors a few years ago, really wondering if this little strange church at the mall could possibly give her some hope and a gospel message that might have a little bit of grace in it and so much, instead of so much law and judgmentalism and condemnation that seems to be pervasive in southern churchianity in the Delta. And she came through the doors and we embraced her. Let me just let me lay the credit where it is. You embraced her. You became the arms and the hands of Jesus and you became the listening ear and some of you spent time on the phone counseling and talking and encouraging and exhorting and stirring up and cheering up and and hearing the the despair and the cry of loneliness. And Kathy is one, a redemptive story, who was a fan but became a follower because of the reaching presence of Jesus through some of your lives. Multitudes of stories I could tell. Some of them are not positive. Some of them are sad because they turned back because of a crisis that came. One gentleman had his life, his wife, her life was tragically taken in an automobile accident and it was literally at the funeral where the Spirit of God seemed to permeate. I had one this week, the presence of God just sat down in it and hope came into a family that was broken. I can't explain it, I can't, there's not a set way to do that, there's no guarantee All I can do, even in our services, is to get you in a position where you're ready when the Lord turns the spout on, when the presence of God comes, and when it gives you a word that I'm speaking generally to this whole congregation, but when you leave here and you feel like God has taken a hot coal off of the altar through a word that I've spoken that is general to everyone, but somehow the Holy Spirit makes it personal to your life, and you leave here feeling like you were the only person sitting here in this room because God made it so personal and applied it to your life individually. That's what I'm talking about. It is not just skill in speaking, but it's the power and the presence of God in the gospel when God can touch a heart and change a life. When the Spirit of God will get up in the middle of something when I don't feel like it and can't take any credit for it whatsoever because I don't know whether you want to hear this or not, but there's some days that I'd rather just pull the cover over my head and stay in the bed. Sometimes I might push the edge and try to keep it a little too real at victory. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to fail on the side of grace. Because I want you to know this is an atmosphere that we keep pushed wide open. We, we run pharisaical spirits off here every Sunday. If there's a chance to offend a pharisaical spirit, baby, I'm looking for it. I've got my gun sighted. I'm looking for a target. Because grace is so precious. We have to guard the grace of the gospel of God in this place and I'm asking you the question is Jesus enough for you and your options that you're looking at when everything else is gone he's the only one left the only thing on the menu is he really what you were hungry for story after story Jesus basically looks at these people and the crowd in John 6 are deciding whether Jesus is enough is it about the perks is it about the relationship Do you remember what happens? He says those hard sayings and they turn and leave. 
I, I have to stop here for just a moment this morning because there is something in me as a pastor and, and forgive me, I'm not in any kind of way trying to stretch. There is nothing arrogant about me feeling like that I can a little bit relate to what I think Jesus is feeling in this moment. Because after 30 years of ministry, there have been times when I have poured undue amounts, indescribable amounts of grace onto people's lives who have sins that cannot be spoken of in public places and it gets dismissed and the love of God is administered and it's shared and we pour in the oil and the wine of the gospel and their relationships are restored and God starts to bless a family and in a couple of years they take a turn where they feel like they know more about the Bible than somebody who's been anointed and appointed and studied and been doing it for decades and then get offended at some little thing and leave and I'm going wait a minute, this something here doesn't compute. I don't understand this. Have we forgotten the hours that were spent agonizing in prayer because your son was out in an addictive pattern of behavior and we went to the hospital and his stomach was pumped and he nearly died and you're going to get offended at me over something like this little nothing of a thing and leave this church? Oh my, this is how a pastor thinks, wrestling with the unrealistic. You want me to keep it real? I'm going to keep it real for a couple of minutes here. Wrestling with the unrealistic expectations sometimes of people. And let me just tell you right now, if you showed up because you've heard some great reports about victory and you think this is the perfect church, let me tell you it's not because I'm not and neither is any other pastor on this staff. We are not excusing, we're not talking about sin issues or some kind of impropriety, but we're talking about people who are still human and who make mistakes and who unintentionally will offend somebody else. And if you hang around long enough, I promise you I will disappoint you. And then I get a chance to see how you are going to be able to minister grace back to the person who's been feeding grace to you. Honey, I know it's the truth. <laughs> Amen, Pastor Don. <laughs> Jesus has been healing everything in sight. The power and the presence of the Lord was present with him to heal. And he's feeding the whole group. And he gets up and he gives them a little bit of a press to see if they're going to be really committed and follow through. And they leave him by the thousands. And Jesus says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. People like the idea of heaven. They love the miracles. The excitement in the crowd draws people. The free show, man, entertain me, Jesus. And give me some bread. Fill my belly. But when Jesus wipes all that off the table and he says, I offer myself. I am the bread from heaven. If any man partakes of me, he will never go hungry again. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? And he sees the fans get up and leave. The people that decided they were going to do a Woodstock and camp out for a couple of days wake up the next morning and he just basically shuts the drive through window and they leave in droves and Jesus looks at all that were left and it would be like me looking to my leadership team and basically saying, okay, the whole crowd's gone now. Are you going to leave too? Jesus looks at his 12. He looks at his leadership team, those that he's been investing hours and pouring his life into, and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter speaks up. I can, I can imagine. I, 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 don't have, I can't historically validate this, but I can't help but think that even though Jesus is all God, he is still fully all man at the same time. And I think there had to be just a little bit, just a hint of frustration in his voice coming from the human side. Maybe even just a little bit of righteous anger. Are you going to leave too? And, and, and I have to think about this. I want to I help you. I want to get your feet on the ground of, of being able to absorb this concept this morning. And this is the, the best way that I know how to do it. And that is to, to, to ask you, if you go back to your single days before you were married and you start thinking about the person with, that you're with now and you love her, guys. Ladies, put yourself in the same circumstance. The one that you love calls and 
raises enough courage to ask you out for a date. And miracle of all miracles, she says yes. <laughs> Day is a God, you said. Come on, guys, you know. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you remember. And so you take her out to the movie. Everything is set up perfectly. You buy the tickets. You get her the favorite kind of popcorn. You know that she likes her favorite soft drink, all the snacks, and you have a great time. First date is a home run. Oh, you're dropping her off that night, and you say, hey, listen, I'd really like to take you to this great restaurant that I've got. Yes, I will go, she says. So you pick her up for the next date, and you dig out of your savings, and you take a hundred spot with you because this is a nice restaurant. And you let her order anything off the menu that she wants, and you're sitting there, and you feel like there's just an ever-increasing soul-to-soul connection, and this thing is growing, and it has a great amount of potential, and, and man, you're excited, and she looks excited, and you know she's smiling, and she's laughing at your tired jokes, so she must really like you. <laughs> and one date turns into two, turns into three, turns into ten turns into three months, six months, and you really feel like this thing has a great amount of potential. And the time has turned into months, and it's put you into thinking. You're laying in the bed in the middle of the night, looking up, dreaming about a future with this amazing girl that you feel like has been brought into your life. And so you make plans. You've been saving. You call her for a special date. Your back pocket is bulging with a little box that has something very special in it. She can't see it. But you take her out to the park and you sit out on the park bench and you start opening your heart and tell her how the last six, nine months, whatever it's been, has just been a time of awakening in your life and you've made a connection that you just really didn't know if would ever be possible and, and, and your life has turned and you feel complete and you're just pouring out your heart. And about the time you reach into your back pocket before you actually reveal what's back there, you're ready to make the commitment of your life. You've already, to some extent, feel like it's you, you've defined the relationship in your mind, and you're feeling like it's time. You're ready, and about the time you reach to get that, she looks at you and she says, is this all there is? Is this the date? Well, well yeah, what do you mean? And you start to have a conversation, and she opens up and actually reveals that she doesn't feel anywhere near the way you feel, but she's just been coming along for all the stuff that you've been buying her because she likes the fact that you've been spending money on her. Everybody say, gold digger. <laughs> there are some spiritual gold diggers in the kingdom of God that will hang with Jesus as long as Jesus will answer every prayer, specifically the way they prayed it, get the new car financed, Get the new job with the promotion. Get the new house. Get the, get the, get the, get the. Give me, give me, give me Jesus. And when Jesus shuts down the all-you-can-eat buffet and he says, I'm all there is on the menu, is that enough? And I think that's what Jesus felt like in that moment. I think he had poured out his heart and he was trying to tell them about the way, the new and living way that he was coming to provide so that they could have complete communion and connection to their heavenly father and not just see him as the manager of a heavenly supermarket that dumps a blessing down on his people when they raise up a prayer of faith. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. Point number two. Read this one out loud with me. When you really know Jesus is Lord, you don't want to leave him. Say it again. Come on. When you really know Jesus is Lord, you don't want to leave him. You go home today and you take the challenge from your pastor. And you read through all 27 books of the New Testament. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The history and Acts. The epistles that begin with Paul. 13 of which we know he wrote, Hebrews and the general epistles of James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and the last uh, prophecy book, the Apocalypsis, the Revelation. You read all 27. When you sit down, I give you the assignment. I want you to take a pink 
highlight pen, and every time you see Jesus called or referred to as Savior, you highlight that time its Savior is used. And also on the same read-through that you're going to be doing, I want you to take a green highlighter pen, and every time you read where he is called Lord, you highlight that in green. And at the conclusion of your reading the 27 books of the New Testament, you would find that Jesus is referred to as Savior 24 times. You would see 24 pink locations spread throughout those 27 books. But dotted all over the place, spread throughout those 27 books, you would see 767 times that he's called Lord. Okay, so what are you trying to say, preacher? In Southern Churchianity, in the American South, the diet that we get from most pulpits is only emphasizing and preaching that he is Savior, and that's what the Bible minors on. The major emphasis of the New Testament is the lordship of Jesus Christ. If we only preach him as Savior, we draw a crowd that produces fans. I'm going to say something to you right now, and I just want to let the statistic hit, and you just discern it yourself. We have 308 million population in America, 80% of which claim to be Christian. That is an impossibly inflated statistic. There is absolutely no accuracy to 80% of 308 million people being truly born-again, honest-to-goodness Christian. We, don't shout me down, we would not be in the mess we're in if 25% of the 308 million were honest to God Completely committed followers, not fans of Jesus, but completely committed followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not being hard. This is just grace like it is. Come on, somebody. When we preach he is Savior and we don't tell those people, read to them the fine print, this Savior expects you to lay down your life and let him call the shots because Lord, you don't use the word Lord at work. You know the word you use that means Lord at work? Boss. Jesus is the boss. Everybody say, Jesus is the boss. That's what it means. He is calling the shots in my life. And when he closes the free giveaway, and he basically says, I am all you've got. Is that enough? Peter answers, and he says, to whom shall we go? And the question that he responds with is literally pregnant with thousands of other questions. In those few words where Peter says, to whom shall we go? Five words. There are thousands of questions that are being asked in that. Jesus, who else can teach us the way you can? Who else can lead us to God? Who else has the words of eternal life except for you? Jesus, there is nobody else out here. There is a uniqueness to you. A lot of other teachers. But there's something about you. African-American fellow by the name of Andre Crouch in the 1970s wrote a song that is so appropriate at this point. I just wish I had about 30 black voices in a choir to help me sing. Can't nobody. Lots of double negatives. It's not grammatically correct, but you just, it just doesn't even matter because you've got to hear the words. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. He healed my body and he told me to run on. He's my friend. And too often we seek the benefit. We seek the healing instead of realizing that if we'll get close to the healer, the healing is automatic. We spend time standing on promises and confessing areas of things and we don't bother to change natural choices of our lives that have gotten us into the mess that we're in in the first place. And we want the provision, but if we would just seek the provider, the provision will become and it'll be automatic. Can I have an Amen. Fans bail when they realize that serious commitment is involved. I love that woman on that front row sitting right there more than air. I say that regularly. I make sure that my babies and my wife know that if something happened to me, they would remember me telling them innumerable times how much that I love them. 
I want that to be my legacy. I do not know how God has numbered my days. He knows the number of hairs on my head. He knows that they're falling out and they're turning gray. (laughs) And you know what? I'm not ashamed anymore of the gray that I have too much to cover up because I've earned them. And I've lived to tell about it. I've seen some stuff. And there's just not a whole lot that surprises me anymore. But I'm thankful that in the middle of all of that, that I've been able to not get cynical and to keep loving Jesus and to keep loving people and to keep extending my trust and to keep putting my hope out there for people to see that there is a better opportunity and a better possibility and it's tied up in the promise of the gospel and it's when nothing else is there and your options are exhausted. Jesus is all you've got. That's when you're in the best shape you've ever been in because he's all you need. Number three, we don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. I'm going to repeat that. Say it with me. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. I believe that those 12 disciples had a connection with Jesus that gave them the ability to know what everybody else didn't know. They didn't have the faith to see the claims that Jesus made, that this guy literally was God come into the flesh. He is in the earth. He is our Mashiach. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He's the one that for thousands of years we've been longing and looking for him to come. And I think about the fans who weren't willing to really put something into it in order to be able to draw something back out. Practical note here. Sometimes people come to a local church and they're, they're looking for a number of different things to be provided. And let me just tell you, as a church is growing, the more it grows, we have a heart to provide all of these different kinds of things. Choirs and music ministry that grows and opportunities for our children that beyond what we have on Sunday morning. And, and sometimes I scratch my head because people want that, but then we're begging to have people help us. We need help. We need help on Sunday morning on what we do offer. I I believe in Pastor Haley. I believe in the team that she's building. I believe in your children. I believe that God has a destiny on the lives of these little children. And we need some folks that won't just say amen to what I'm saying to you right now, but will be more than fans and will become committed followers and will step up to the plate and will say, yes, I'm going to help in the children's ministry. I'm going to serve alongside Pastor Haley and trust God to raise up some champions in a new generation of children for the kingdom of God. I'm not just going to, you know... A lot of folks say, well, I'll just write Jeremy a check. We'll just bless the youth group. Let me tell you, he'll take every check you'll write. But he needs some folks that will get in here and help him. Y'all still love me this morning? Sometimes fans will pick up and head somewhere else. And I need some followers. And let me just say this. I don't just need ideas. Lots of folks go come to me and they go, man, pastor, I have a great idea. And I'll go, are you willing to lead it? I have pages of ideas that I don't have anybody to plug into yet. So I'm I'm up to here with ideas. I'm up here not that tall yet with ideas. I need to get up to here with followers that will jump in and help carry the load. Now, you were doing fine as long as you were talking about those Pharisees that left. Don't don't push it. Don't press me today, preacher. (laughs) Help me, Jesus. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. We wish that we could have it all laid out. God, I'm praying, I ask you to reveal the future for my life. And Lord, I want it, I want every point that I'm going to have to make. Give me every turn. Lord, give me a GPS system with a nice voice in my vehicle as I head on my spiritual journey and tell me the next three turns up the road so I can know what to expect. Wouldn't it be great if that was the way life worked? Wouldn't it be great if when you got saved, God would just hand you a big fat contract and says, these are all the things that are going to happen in your life and, and you're going to slip at that one, but you're going to make it through this one. This will be a great victory. This will be a valley, but I'm going to be there with you. Wouldn't it be amazing if you knew? I don't think so. God, would you just write it in the sky? Is he the one? Just once, I wish you'd say, No! <laughs> I 
I said something to one young person here recently. I said, let me tell you something. You better wait for Mr. Right. You better not settle for Mr. Right now, baby. I'm telling you, you're going to be unhappy. In the end, it comes down to whether Jesus is enough for you. I'm finished this morning. Is Jesus enough? Would you, just with a minute, watch this last sermon vignette that we're going to be watching in this series as we close the message today? Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Those are the two guarantees. We will all die and we will all stand before God. When that moment comes to all of us, there's only one question that will really matter, is have you decided to follow Jesus? If I could, I would ask you that question differently. Because it's very personal. I wish I could come over to your house and knock on your door. Hopefully I could talk you into letting me come in and sit down for a few minutes. And I would want to sit across the kitchen table from you and look you in the eye and ask you this question. I know that when you hear me ask, have you decided to follow Jesus? Many of you quickly nod your head yes and say, yeah, I'm a follower. But why do you say that? Because I'm not asking if your parents were followers. I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you say grace before meals or if you come to church. I'm not even asking if you believe in Jesus. I am asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Because one day there are many who say, I am a follower that will stand before God and be declared fans. I don't want to hear that. It's a sober moment. <clears throat> this whole series has been brought to this conclusion. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Sometimes circumstances come our way and the choices we make speak louder than our words. Every head bowed, every heart closed, every, every heart bowed, every eye closed. I want your hearts open in Jesus' name. My last point was this. It says, we don't know the day, but we know his name. We don't know the day, but we know his name. What is the day? The day is when he will appear, when he will split the skies, and when he will come back, or when our day may end, when I may take my last breath. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. There are no do-overs. There are no second chances on the other side. This is it. If you've never crossed the line of faith and not merely said, Jesus, save me, but said, be Lord of my life, be the boss, call the shots. That's what I'm asking for this morning. I don't know the day, but I know his name. I, I may turn out of this place and walk out the door and drive home. I may not make it home today. Or I could lay down in my bed and take my regular Sunday afternoon nap and I might not wake up. And what a way to go. Knowing that I have completely discharged with faith and grace the burden of the Lord. Not only in this message, but through this series. Because my heart is right before him and I feel like I've done all that I could. And in this moment, it's not about what I've done, but it's about what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and what your response is going to be. Because he's drawing hearts. He's reaching right now into some dark places where you know in, in your soul that there is nothing left and it is just Jesus. And I'm asking you the question today, is he enough? For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He's giving himself. His grace and his faith are gifts that he puts in you. You turn the faith back and reach up to him and receive the grace gift of salvation. That is the gospel right there. 
You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't work for it. Nobody in the room's good enough. I am not good enough. Nobody else is. But Jesus is good enough. And he took your place. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to ask you right now, if you want to be included in this prayer and you're just going to say, Pastor, I'm ready to take that step. I want Jesus Christ to change my life. Would you slip your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I, I do want to pray for you. Yes, thank you for that hand. And I see another one. Thank you. There's another one on the other side over there in that. Yes, thank you. Guys in the back helping me. There's one over here on this side. Thank you for pointing. Anyone else? Just in this last moment this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these who in this very private place, just Jesus and them, and you, Lord, have presented that you are the bread of life. And they are saying, Jesus, I want to be a follower. And I want to just be a fan. You're enough. I want you. Lord, thank you that as these take the step of faith to cross that line, and they just simply speak these words in their heart, and they say, Jesus, save me. Just pray that prayer right now in your heart. Just speak it. Jesus, save me. God, I thank you that you do a work of the Holy Spirit right now. As they confess their past, they turn from it. Thank you, Lord, that acknowledging their bankruptcy, their bankrupt state before you and just saying, I can't do it, Jesus, save me. Lord, thank you that you bring them into the kingdom of God, that they are born as your child today. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. There's some people here who've walked with the Lord for years and you've felt convicted. And this morning, in this moment, you, need, you are saying, I need a fresh start. I have laid back in a season of my life and I've been discouraged. I've gotten disgruntled. Somebody else may have said, you know, I have, maybe I've had a bad attitude. And I don't like the place that I've been in. And I want God to give me something new and fresh today. And I want to be a follower and not a fan. I don't want to be a fair-weather believer, but I want to completely commit myself and my life to Jesus Christ. Believers this morning, anybody you want to be prayed for, nobody's looking around, every head bowed. Yes, there's at least three hands that I saw right there. In Jesus' name, God, thank you for my brothers and my sisters today. In this room, in this series, we cry out to you, Holy Spirit of God, move in us, empower us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, stir up, Lord, where our love has grown cold. Make us, O oh God, to be like hot flames with an evangelistic spirit in this church to take the gospel to this community. Lord, thank you that we will not be fans, but we will be completely committed followers of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, put your hands together. Come on, everybody.